As you traverse the dark corridors of this ancient dungeon, a shiver runs down your spine as you realize you're not alone. Lurking in the shadows ahead, hidden among the cobwebs and old bones, are spoilers for dungeons and dragons honorable thieves. They hiss and snarl, eager to divulge the secrets of this epic tale. Equip your earplugs of ignorance at once, or brave the spoiler-infested depths at your own risk. This is Diabolical, the comedy podcast where four long-suffering friends dissect films' most dastardly schemes, then try to improve them. I'm your host, Ben, and this week we're rolling the dice with fantasy adventure Dungeons & Dragons Honor Among Thieves. So grab your loot and your leather jerkin, and let's get diabolical. Greetings, fellow adventurers, and welcome to the show. As usual, I'm joined by the Guild of Guffaws, otherwise known as the Panel of Peril. Please introduce yourselves and tell us your favourite tabletop or board game. And we'll go with our reigning champion, the best, the best, dare I say it, the best. Oh, he appeared like Beetlejuice. (laughs) I thought more like the Candyman. (laughs) I am the best, the best, the best, and my favourite board game we enjoy playing in the best, the best, the best household called Ticket to Ride, which is where you make train lines across, in this case, it's North America. There's no dice involved. You just take it in turns, laying tracks, and it's really satisfying when you get the biggest run and you get the bonus points for that. Nice little family board game for you there, Peril Pals. Really satisfying, laying tracks when you get the biggest run. All I can think about is doing a really satisfyingly big turd. Oh, now it's all. You're thinking of laying cable, aren't you? (laughs) Laying cable, that's it. (laughs) Craig, tell us your favourite board game or tabletop game. Well, I'd say my favourite tabletop game is probably yours as well, and it's the the fifth edition of Dungeons & Dragons, which we play frequently. It's a lot of fun. But like board games, like physical, because we play that online, due to uh, geographical differences i'd probably say trivial pursuit i just there's something really satisfying about the wedges or the cheese or the pie i don't care what you call it just putting them all together just feels good (laughs) yeah just kind of the general knowledge aspect of it ava's been getting really into jenga recently because we actually got it for christmas (laughs) and it's quite fun playing that with her if you come back to it later on i'll tell you a couple of board games that people would think that i like that I don't like, and I'll tell you why I don't like them. <laughs> that sounds like a whole separate podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Just a bit of fun that I thought you'd, you'd enjoy. Don't get your juices flowing. <laughs> and Adam, what is your favourite tabletop or board game? Hello, it's Adam here. My favourite board game is a board game called Sorry. I'm not sure if the rest of the panel are familiar with it. Based on the Ronnie Corbett sitcom. Yes, that's it, where he lives with his mum. And basically, you, right. you play Ronnie Corbett and you've got to escape your mum into the dark forest. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Four players, you all get four little counters, and you basically got to get all your coloured counters home. But you can go around and knock the other players off and stuff, so it, it can become... Oh. It's very simple rules. Ludo. No, it's called Sorry. Hmm. 
right. probably takes the name. I've, I've I've seen Ludo, but I'm not sure if it's got the same rules. But but sorry, forms like that. But it's like simple rules. People do get anxious and wound up, but it doesn't take forever to play, which is the main thing. Unlike things like Monopoly, which are f- oh. Ludo is like sorry, but the counters have cocks and balls. Hence the name Ludo. Right. <laughs> Sarah. <laughs> My favourite tabletop or board game is Unstable Unicorns. It's a huge favourite in our house. It's a card game where the aim is to get seven unicorns in your stable, and each unicorn you have has a different power or or skill that can affect the way you play the game. And so it's it's a lot of fun. Can I have a look at that one? I'm sorry. I do like the uh, surging games like that like Among Us. And I just, for the first time, watched an episode of The Traitor on BBC this week and weirdly quite enjoyed that. <laughs> Something quite satisfying about seeing people betray each other for some reason. <laughs> uh, so to the board games that people might think that I love, <laughs> Connect Four, everyone goes, oh, I love Connect Four. But I was thinking about it and I almost said Connect mm. Four. No, I don't. No one loves Connect Four. But the only good thing about Connect Four is the coins, mm. right? It's the things you put in there. That's the fun. Yeah. And then the other thing is, I've got four or five editions of the same board game, which is Monopoly. But the only yeah. thing that I really like about Monopoly is the tokens. And that's the reason I have different versions of it is because like <laughs> we have a queen one and it has little queen tokens. And we have a like a Game of Thrones one that has like little, you know, wolves and shit. But the game, pff, ah, fuck that. <laughs> People came to my house and be like, oh, you like Monopoly? I'd be like, not really. <laughs> Later, we'll compete to see who could come up with the most ingenious evil scheme to earn peril points for the Season 5 leaderboard. But first, let's venture into the distant realm of this week's movie. 2023's Dungeons & Dragons Honor Among Thieves is the latest attempt to bring the beloved tabletop RPG to the big screen. Starring an A-list ensemble cast, including Chris Pine, Michelle Rodriguez and Hugh Grant, the film delves into the rich lore of D&D, drawing on classic tropes such as evil wizards, epic battles, and of course, dragons. The story follows Edgin, a roguish bard, and his band of unlikely adventurers who undertake an audacious heist in order to win back Edgin's daughter and retrieve an ancient relic with the power of resurrection. In true D&D fashion, things take a turn, leading the party into a tangled plot filled with dark magic, devious villains, and mythical creatures. Despite grossing in excess of $200 million, its $150 million budget and substantial marketing outlay mean the film was classed as a commercial disappointment. Critics, on the other hand, praised the film for its story and characters that capture the fun of role-playing with friends. But did it roll a natural 20? Or was it a critical fail? Let's find out what the panel thinks. Craig, as the other resident D&D player on the panel, was this movie like a night down the old tavern, the one with the busty serving wench? Or did it leave you feeling like you've been banished to the plane of elemental boredom? Definitely the busty serving wench. For a D&D fan, like, crucially, it feels like D&D, which I think it was important for the D&D audience who'd kind of been let down by previous attempts to, to make a movie in that sphere. But also, it just feels like a fun 
throwback fantasy romp movie, which is genuinely funny at times. I won't say what those times are because we have a little section for that, but I'm sure you're all thinking of them right now. I suppose the only thing in it that doesn't feel authentically D&D, you could say, is the combat, just because some, some of the things they do you obviously can't really do in, in D&D. Yeah, the directors said they had to make a little bit of a trade-off to make the film work, which is fair, I think. Yeah, the time span of each contest feels right, though, because when you play the game, every round is supposed to last six seconds, and I'd say roughly every fight in this movie seems to last about that long, which feels about right, because <laughs> you usually <laughs> take out the dipshits in, in one round. But yeah, I really enjoyed it. I think the casting is great, especially Chris Pine. He's like perfect casting, you know, as a bard and as like a main character type dude. The cameo of Bradley Cooper is amazing. Yeah. I think Michelle Rodriguez is brilliant. I hope to see her in, in more stuff. And some of the stuff they introduced to it, like the Hither Thither staff, I think has now made it into D&D uh, or will be in it soon. It? I think that's really cool. <laughs> that obviously, it's Portal, but yeah, it's really good. One thing I quite often say to the guy who runs our D&D is, I hope we're going to see some dragons and some dungeons, because quite often you, you don't encounter either of those for a while. Uh, and I was very pleased to see that this movie, not only did it have a dragon, but one of the fucking best on-screen dragons I've ever seen. Yeah, that, that was so, <laughs> so fun. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I uh, highly recommend to anybody, whether they're fans of D&D or not, just to, to watch this if you enjoy comedy heist movies and you don't hate things that are set in kind of fantasy worlds. I think you'll enjoy it. Thank you. Well, Adam, you are a very big fantasy fan. I am. Our Lord of the Rings fanatic on the panel. How did you find this movie? I also li- listen uh, to a lot of sci-fi, fantasy and lit RPG novels. I consume hundreds of hours every year. Easy, probably get pushing a thousand hours. I enjoyed it, but it didn't have the impact it had on you guys, I don't think. There was loads of great elements to it, but I like to immerse myself in a film and it didn't feel... It was one of them where you some like really big maps, great, great locations, some fantastic cinema photography and stuff like that. But it was... I, I just wanted more. And I was like, I want to see the sequel. Hopefully they'll make, make a sequel because I hope it'll be perhaps a bit bigger than this one. I don't know. Yeah. Do you know what? I did enjoy it, but it didn't have enough for me. I like a lot of lore, a lot of mythology and stuff like that in my fantasy and my D&D stuff. And it didn't have that. Yeah. Although there was so many great aspects to it. And I did, you know, and I was like, okay, this is really cool. This is really cool. But then there's some elements I just thought didn't quite go far enough on. Yeah. The directors, Jonathan Goldstein and John Francis Daly, they're D&D fans, but obviously the whole way through the development of the movie was walking a tightrope between pleasing the fans, but also not being too steeped in all the lore and, and the tradition. Yeah, well, they've, they've got to make it commercially viable and there will be sacrifices made. Like, yeah. obviously, if you want to compare it to Lord of the Rings, obviously there were sacrifices made with Lord of the Rings as well, which a lot of hardcore fans were not happy with and stuff like that. But I still think they're an incredible set of films for, for the, how much source material Fucking there was. Tom Bombadil. Um, yeah, well, that's what I was getting at, really, was, yeah. the, was the, the need to fit stuff into a, yeah. you know, a tight 90 minutes. You're not going to get a lot of that lore in. Yeah, a lot of people, you know, they probably, they probably won't ever play D&D or read a lit RPG novel or anything like that. They'll go and watch this film 
Mm. It's like a fancy action flick for them, essentially. They'll watch it, they'll enjoy yeah. it for what it is, and they don't have to really think about mm. anything, which is what yeah. I would have enjoyed. I would have enjoyed a bit more thought in it, but I understand the reasons why it was made the way it was as well, but I still enjoyed yeah. lots and lots of elements of it. So, yeah, I did enjoy it. The best of best of best is pulling some faces, but I'm not sure if they relate to the conversation or if he's doing something completely different. Windy pups. Ordering some Blu-rays. <laughs> <laughs> For upcoming films. What was the question? <laughs> what do you think of the film? The film, you say? Hmm. Yeah. I quite like it. I think I'm probably somewhere in between the host Ben and Craig's opinion and Adam's. I really enjoy it. I've seen it before it been picked for the podcast. I probably wouldn't have rewatched it if it hadn't have been picked for the podcast, but I did enjoy my rewatch. It's got that sort of four quadrant style of pleasing everybody that the MCU used to do really well, which it's kind of lost its way a bit in that regard. It's got the the humor, the heart, drama, comedy. That's the same things that I've just said, I know, but I can't think what the four quadrants are. <laughs> Is the fourth one Michelle Rodriguez without aviators? Uh, without a white vest. <laughs> <laughs> like Craig said, the cast is really good. I really like Chris Pine. It's a shame that Star Trek just sort of faded away mm. because I, mm, I really like yeah. the, the Star Trek reboot. Definitely. It's pretty much the only yeah. version of Star Trek yeah. that I have enjoyed, if I'm being honest. And I think he's really good in Wonder Woman as Steve Trevor. And it's kind of a shame this film didn't do so well because he seems like mm. a good sort from everything that I've seen about him. So it'd be nice to, to get him in a franchise that actually yeah. does the business mm. for him. Michelle mm. Rodriguez is, is excellent in this. She really is. Yeah. I like the mix of CG and practical effects is really good. Mm. Really yeah. good. Yeah. Like Jonathan at the start yeah. being an animatronic head on an actor's body is oh, so yeah. good. Really good and very funny. See, very funny. Just how gormless he looks. <laughs> the <laughs> lack of mobility in the bake. It's a lot of fun. After this watch, I'm probably of the same opinion. I likely, unless the sequel does get greenlit, won't watch it again. But I did enjoy this rewatch as I enjoyed my first watch. Yeah, there was a, a huge onus for going to practical effects over CG. Yeah. You can see that throughout. The cat person baby is a highlight. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, and the, the giant fish. Yeah. We'll get to those parts later, I'm sure. But before I ask you for the highlights and favorite lines, we're going to play a little quiz I'm calling Dungeons and Jeopardy. <laughs> well, I have several categories for you containing questions related to D&D Honor Among Thieves. You'll each get a chance to pick a category and answer a question. The categories are... Cartoon cameo. A direct offer. There are no small parts. And of course, perennial favourite, all play. Adam, would you like to pick a category? Cartoon cameo. As a child of the 80s, you may remember a short-lived Dungeons & Dragons cartoon about six young adventurers who enter a magical realm through a fairground ride. Mm -hmm. Honour Among Thieves features several of the characters from the cartoon. But can you tell me where they appear? No. <laughs> <laughs> me neither. I can. Oh, Craig is buzzing in. They are in the arena at the end. They're in a cage, you know, in, in the maze where the other party are running around. 
That's right. All right. When Edgin and his adventurers are thrown into the maze, you see a, a few other groups, and one of the groups has characters resembling Hank the Ranger, Eric the Cavalier, Sheila the Thief, Bobby the Barbarian, Diana the Acrobat, and Presto the Wizard. Craig, pick a category. I'll go with There Are No Small Parts. I think it's got to be about Bradley, Bradley Cooper. Cooper. <laughs> oh, you guessed it. Okay, so Bradley Cooper features in Honor Among Thieves as the halfling love interest to Michelle Rodriguez's Barbarian. But what was unusual about his casting in this part? He's not a halfling in real life. He turned up uninvited. He wasn't <laughs> cast. And they were just like, well, <laughs> might, might as well use him, I suppose. <laughs> was he originally only cast to do the voice, but then he came in and did the whole ass thing? Oh, it's good, but it's not the one. So he was actually cast in post-production and he'd already seen the film. Yeah. He loved it and All agreed right. to do his part on blue screen, which was inserted into pre-existing footage with Rodriguez. Oh. Bit shit for whoever played that part before. <laughs> it was the chair. The chair was gutted. <laughs> Still got paid though, so. I'll tell you what, Vin Diesel would love to be in the sequel if they make one, wouldn't they? Surprised they didn't cast him. Give him long flowing hair. Yeah, and that guy from Magic Michael. Magic Michael? Yeah. Did you say? Yeah. Oh, Magic Mike. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know the guy from True Blood. Magic Michael is my father. You can call me Magic Mike. <laughs> <laughs> you know the guy from True Blood? He was the werewolf. He was in Magic Mike as well. And he's Flash in the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. Oh, yeah. Aww. He plays D&D. Yeah. So does Vince Vaughn. Mm-hmm. Joe Manganiello. Joe Manganiello. Yes, he's a massive wrestling fan too. He's a big dork. <laughs> he runs a game that I think Vince Vaughn plays at that game. There's a few mm. like big Hollywood stars play that game. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. All right. The best, the best, the best. That leaves us with a direct offer. Okay. And that is what it shall be. So co-directors Jonathan Goldstein and John Francis Daly were brought into direct after leaving production of a film featuring which well-known superhero? Trying to think of any superhero films that have had a, a tortured production history, so I'm going to go for the most glaringly obvious one and say Flash. And you have indeed mm. won the biscuit. Mm. Oh, yeah. It was oh, the Flash. Very good. Oh. Daly was in a sports bar watching the baseball and just got talking to a literary agent that was there. And the agent said, you know, are you looking for work? He was brought on to direct. Wow. Just hang out in a bar and just casually talk to a stranger and get a directing job. Sam, I've been doing it wrong all these years. Exactly. It's a uniquely odd history that the Flash film has had. The first pitch that I saw for it after probably The Dark Knight was released was that the Flash would be the superhero version of Silence of the Lambs, which I was like, mm. eh, not, not sure that fits. <laughs> they're really reaching now in Hollywood, aren't they? You know, they're saying it's going to be this film crossed with this film. Yeah. Seven meets seven for the post-seven generation. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant, wasn't it? <laughs> Let's move on now to our favourite moments. Adam, would you like to kick us off? It's the dungeon bit when they go down. I just love that. 
the whole hanging islands and stuff like that, I was just like, oh, that's real fantasy stuff. That whole sequence there is really, but I just love that shot of the, all the islands hanging through the big chains and stuff like that. I was like, oh, that's great. Yeah, there's lots of really good gags as well. The bridge being collapsed before <laughs> before they can do anything. <laughs> yeah. I love Regation on pages, by the way. He reminds me of the Grusalog from Angel, his character. Uh, yeah, yeah. He's excellent. Takes everything very literally. They gave him a little bit of room to improvise. And so the shot of him, hopefully I'm not stealing anyone's favorite moment, where he walks over the rock, mm. <laughs> going in a straight line, that was improvised. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> The best, the best, the best, to your point there about the gag with the island falling, the bridge. That is such a typical D&D moment where everyone's standing around planning. Someone yeah. inevitably does something that just <laughs> yeah. causes the plan to go to shit in the first two <laughs> seconds. That yeah. was another moment I thought they captured really well. Do you have any other highlights, the best, the best, the best? The graveyard sequence where they get to ask mm. revived corpses five <laughs> yeah. questions before they perish. There's lots of good stuff there, particularly... With the final running joke of not finishing the five questions off to the final corpse, which concludes in the end credits of him saying, yeah. is anybody going to ask me a question? So that he can pass back over to the other side. That's great. Yeah. And there's one where they find out he's died and he's basically saying, you need to ask me the questions. So Chris Pine says, uh, what's your favorite food? Oats. No barley. Do you like cats? Not really. And he dies. <laughs> <laughs> and uh the the guy who's, who died by slipping on the bath as well in his head was very funny. Didn't yeah. see the battle. Oh yeah, the the morning is a battle here. <laughs> that sequence was localized. I'm assuming the world over. I couldn't quite tell who it was over here, but I know in Australia it was Auntie Donna who voiced a lot of corpses because I, oh, wow, I cool. watched a, a mini documentary from them doing it. A mm. uh, big fan of Anzi Donna. Carol Powers, look them up on YouTube if you're unaware of them. Yeah, yeah not sure who, who voiced them over here, though, in the UK. Well, in pre-production, there was talk of getting Monty Python, mm. the members of Monty Python, to yeah, do it, really? but it never, it never came off. But you can see that it has that sensibility. Yeah, definitely does. Yeah. All right, Craig, what were your, uh, your favourite moments? Big Fat Dragon. Love the big fat dragon. So good. So funny. <laughs> the way it slides around, yeah, the way it yeah. tips up the environment. It feels like it's got, you know, mass and weight. It's really good. Uh, it looks great. Just the the concept of it, I found really funny. Yeah. That dragon existed in D&D lore, not as rotund as it was in the film, but it was no. known for its greed. Right. And so they, they played with that idea and tried to give us a dragon that we'd never seen before. Because they thought people might be a bit burned out with dragons from Game of Thrones and things like that. Yeah, mm. yeah, makes sense. So they tried to put a yeah. bit of spin on it, which I think is yeah. yeah, excellent. One note I've made here that I don't think will come up organically at all, but I just have to read it out because I wrote it. Bradley Cooper makes a very funny halfling. Amusing to imagine him fucking Michelle Rodriguez. Amusing or arousing? Both. <laughs> First one, then the other. You think he'd just take a running jump? And just like uh, dive straight in. <laughs> what would be the difficulty class for that, do you think? <laughs> Perhaps you'd like to start us with your favourite line, Craig. My favourite line, it's a response to another line, so I have to give you both. It's when Rick Asian Page says, In these instances where faith wanes and doubt waxes, I recall the tenets of the ancients. And Chris Pine says, 
okay, see you later. <laughs> Doesn't let him finish what he's saying. <laughs> you mentioned him earlier, but yeah, he was fantastic as the paladin. Adam, any favourite lines there? The tea is hot. It's scorching hot. <laughs> Hugh Grant is uh, Farge, and it's just, yeah, it just highlights how good he is. Little sequences like that, it's just perfect. Been great to see him popping up in all these weird roles recently. It's quite a renaissance, isn't it? He's a really likeable baddie. Yeah. The best, the best, the best. Did you have a favourite line? I've got a couple. The first one that really made me laugh is during Simon's magic show in his introductory scene when he's pickpocketing everybody and a member of his audience just suddenly goes straight into the camera He's nicking our bits and bobs. (laughs) (laughs) The Red Wizard, Safina, teams up with Conman Forge to take over the city of Neverwinter in order to host the High Sun Games a grand event where she plans to perform an ancient ritual to turn thousands of spectators into an army of undead. Craig, what did you think of Safina's plan? It's pretty good. I think it plays to the mindset of the kind of residents of the area, especially the the rich guys who come into the special room at the top there, like the VIP yeah. box, I guess you'd call it. She would have pulled it off if it wasn't for the epiphany that uh, Chris Pine's character has and his, the bravery of that party going back to save everybody. Exactly. What do you think there, Adam? Do you agree with Craig or do you think he's talking bullshit? <laughs> yeah, she's just a bit unfortunate, isn't she? She's uh, she done, She's done. got it all tied up quite nicely and uh, got a nice patsy in the form of Farge played to, to him and his weaknesses. So, yeah, just the heroes are too damn good, damn it. The best, the best, the best. What did you think of Safina's plan? It was good. I watched the film for the second time. And then when you texted me the plan that we had to formulate in congruence with the film, I was like, huh, I didn't know that's what the plan was. So on that basis, I'm going to say it was actually a really good plan because I didn't know that it was the plan. <laughs> what did you think the film was about? I don't know. Sometimes I watch films <laughs> like I'm sure I'm just like the telly's there and there's a door handle there and my eyes are like slightly to the side. <laughs> it's gonna move any moment. It's gonna move any moment. What are you up to door handle? <laughs> you gotta keep your eye on these things just in case, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> well, on that basis. It's obviously a very cunning plan. And as you've all said, it was only the intervention of our heroes that spoiled it. I'm going to give Safina 11 florets of magical broccoli. Nice. That's a good amount. Before we roll for initiative in our climactic showdown, we'd like to beseech you for a small but mighty favour. If our journey through treacherous plots has captivated you, we humbly request you take a moment to prove your allegiance by hitting subscribe and bestowing upon us a five-star review on your favoured scrying tool, particularly Apple Podcasts. Your support is the powerful enchantment we need to continue our cinematic quest 
sparing us the need to delve into dark and dangerous dungeons. Now it's time for the final battle where we compete to see who can come up with the most evil scheme to earn precious peril points for the diabolical leaderboard. Sofina employs a clever blend of magic, deception and manipulation in order to lure as many victims as possible into her trap. The best, the best, the best. How would you have spun this web of deceit differently? Sex! Now that I've got your attention, here's my plan. <laughs> the High Sun games are a silly idea. Mimics, displacer beasts, gelatinous cubes, all very silly. All destined for failure, thanks to those scurrilous band of thieves. First things first, get that kick along for everybody to have a nice cup of coffee later. You've got some magic powers, so it shouldn't be too much of an ask to brew a nice big drum of it. Second, Get some cream cheese and smoke salmon bagels on the go. The bagels aren't for the plebs, just for you because you're peckish. <laughs> Next, distribute leaflets asking everybody to remain seated following the uneventful conclusion of the High Sun Games as there will be a special orgy-style gathering that will only begin once <laughs> the heavens open. As the sky gets cloudy, that coffee that you've been brewing should have reached a positively scalding temperature. At the appropriate time, using magic, mind you, raise the vat of sickeningly hot coffee above the amphitheatre, unbeknownst to the proles. Summon some artificial clouds with a quick shake of your abracadabra and pour the hot lava java all over the neverwintery arnos. Ooh! Ouch! They would say as the skin peels from their bodies. It wouldn't be overly long until they succumb to the shock of being sand skin and are ready to be turned into an army of the undead type people. But before you do that, just hang fire and wait for the paramedics who will be on their way, summoned by the screams of the coffee people. Also, before you turn the plebs and the paramedics into the army of the undead, wait for the police who will be on their way, summoned by the smell of the coffee people, accompanied by a hint of something cooking which they hope will be donuts. <laughs> they provide yet more kindling for the undead fire. Not only have you used all of the High Sun Games spectators, but you've drawn in quite a few extras too. A pretty good job, if I do say so myself. What the fuck was that? Chat GPT wrote that. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote it on holiday over the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> so where's Chris Pine and those guys doing this? Since we almost universally agreed that they were the flying the ointment. This occurred after the High Sun Games as well, which Chris Pine and his gang already ended. <laughs> they got scolded by the coffee. Oh... He's bloody, he's pulled it out of the bag, hasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> Why was it coffee anyway? Or a waste of good beans? It could have just been hot water. <laughs> you know, she could send meteors flying from the sky, right? You did see that part, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, she's pouring coffee on people. <laughs> yeah. 
Have you ever spilled scalding hot coffee on yourself? It's no laughing matter. Let me Ooh, tell you. You're laughing yeah, now, yeah. but you won't be doing later if you ma- if when you do happen to later. make yourself some coffee and you spill some on yourself. You'll be all like, "Oh, the best, the best, the best was right there." And you got a big cold wet patch on your trousers, <laughs> on your groin. Not only is your trousers wet, but your boxers are as well. And the smell of cold coffee. It's cold comfort in cold coffee. Yeah. How many extra people do you think the screams of the coffee people will attract? Based on previous episode, Doctor and the Daleks, 11. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Which is 11 more than you had before. So big thumbs up from me. 11 thumbs up from the best of best of us. I'm standing by that, by the way. <laughs> I might watch Doctor and the Daleks again and count exactly how many hells there are, clearly. <laughs> you seem to be deep in thought there, Adam. Are you fully convinced by mm. the best of best's plan? Well, <laughs> some might say no. <laughs> but would you? I tend to agree with them, yeah. <laughs> oh, with them. Uh, I thought you meant with me. All right, well, if there are no further questions for the best of best of best... What a fucking misnomer. <laughs> Adam, what would you have done differently? As the folk of Neverwinter go about their lives, the sound of distant music drifts in faintly on the wind. As the music grows louder, the source of the sound soon becomes clear. Yes, a carnival is coming to town, headed by a marching band of relevant musicians and instruments, followed by acrobats, bearded beast king, lion men in cages, baby dragons on chains. The townsfolks rush from their houses and places of work to line the route, clapping and cheering. Living in such a shithole city and seeing such a plethora of excitement as the town in uproar. Come on, come on! shouts a half-giant wearing a battered top hat twizzling a cane in one hand. As the crowd cheer, they begin to follow the parade as it heads towards a large green space like a park with many farmers' fields. Meanwhile, on top of a building nearby, Sophina's fingers twitch complex patterns as she uses her cosmic powers to conjure the illusion of these performers and make them almost hypnotic to the city folk. As the crowd follow the carnival march into the park, Sophina teleports herself into the forged balloon ceases her illusion casting. The performers all disappear and the city folk awake from their half-trance. Finding themselves in the middle of a large open area, they are confused. But it's too late. As the forge balloon drifts overhead, Safina is already performing the ritual that disperses the red cloud down onto the panic crowd. Nowhere to hide and no walls to hem in the deadly smoke. They are turned into the undead army that Safina has long desired. P.S. Chris Pine's mum called him home for his tea. He had Finder's crispy pancakes. Ah, <laughs> uh, he's bloody George Lucas, did, hasn't he? I mean, what level were you casting uh, that illusion at? I've got no idea. It doesn't Three? doesn't specify what level oh. of uh, mage she it's is. Not going to hold up, is it? A level twenty, isn't she? Gee, Safina. She's yeah, right she's level twenty. Casting, casting spells at level nine. Yeah. I reckon she's probably getting close to a lich level. 
probably, isn't she? She can't be far off. Lich, please. <laughs> All right. Findus crispy pancakes. Yeah, the beef ones as well. Oh, beef. Uh, I was going along with it until you said beef. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, the beef one's good. Ham ones are good. Ham and cheese. Yeah. I mean, they're all gross. No, they're not. They're all delicious. But <laughs> but there's very little filling in them these days. It's like a thin smear. And now, a short commercial break. Hi, Mum. What's for dinner? I'm starving. Oh, try the freezer. Ah, Finder's Thin Smear Pancakes. Brilliant! Finder's Thin Smear Pancakes. Experience the crunch of regret with every bite. (laughs) Get a can of toast toppers and then surround it with the scrapings from inside a a lamb's digestive tract and then put some (laughs) breadcrumbs around it. There you go. I've had a drink and a fancy of Finder's crispy pancake right now. I'm going to get on Uber Eats. <laughs> <laughs> so it would seem that Adam Plan is pretty foolproof if there are no challenges. I've challenged the beef <laughs> and the level of illusion. Because as a Dungeons & Dragons player, they'd want to check this carnival, wouldn't they? They'd want to say, listen, here, Games Master, my passive perception <laughs> is fucking through the roof here. Have I noticed anything about this carnival? And then it'd be like, well, what do you want to look at? Well, I want to look at the clown or whatever. I forget which things you said were there. Uh, acrobats. I haven't rolled great. I've rolled a seven, but I've got a plus fucking 13 on this. So it's a dirty 20. Oh, uh, well, you've noticed that it's all fake. All of it. Well done, you. <laughs> yeah, but most of the people there are commoners. They're NPCs. You're at home eating pancakes, don't forget. No, no, no. Only Chris Pine went home for pancakes michelle rodriguez uh, is still there simon's still there all the best ones are still there the horny girl she's still there no they're all eating finder's crispy pancakes they invited to the dinner were they yeah oh yeah well chris pine's gone home for a seat yeah and they've got like oh mum, can my friends come as well this is fucking bollocks you only get four crispy pancakes in a box and chris pine's gonna want at least two so <laughs> but his mum's been to hair and foods and stocked up <laughs> <laughs> So what is she supplementing this with? Canned potatoes. <laughs> yeah. No, no smash, smash. No, wait, marrow fat piece. <laughs> what does Chris Pine's mum do for a living? How she earn her gold? Well, he's a famous movie star. She doesn't have to work. <laughs> she cleans out the latrines in the castle. I was thought you were going to say she was on the game. 40 years of being on the game has rendered her not pleasurable to mine eyes. <laughs> <laughs> she probably used to be on the game, but then she's taken a step back as a fanny's like a major sleeve. <laughs> <laughs> well, if there are no further challenges for Adam, Craig, what would you have done differently? Sophina has seen the future. Foiled by the bard and his merry band, the geek, the buff woman clad in black leather, and the teenager with the goat horns. But she has seen another future also, the future of music. If there's one surefire way to gather a large crowd of peasants ripe for ritual sacrifice, it's a free concert slash music festival. Once they get lost in the noise, a crowd becomes oblivious to danger. The added bonus 
is that the chance to play to the huge crowd will be too strong a temptation for the bard to resist. All that's needed is to get his companions to join him in his musical fantasy and form a group. And the futuristic musical genre which shall unite the band and his party? Why, the devil's music, of course. Rock and roll. Sophina creates the genre by recording Paranoid by Black Sabbath onto some pebbles she leaves at popular inns, popularising the wearing of leather and making goat horns with one's fingers. The thieves headline the event with support from bands whose names you'll find mildly humorous if you have an encyclopedic knowledge of Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition. Metallicara Cochra. <laughs> Fae Fighters. The Giant Fire Beatles. Arrowsmith. Pearl of Power Jam. <laughs> and these are the best ones now. <gasps> Armor Class Difficulty Class. Very proud of that one. And Credence Purify Food and Drink Revivify. And the Rolling Stones. <laughs> the crowd is enthralled, then transformed into the Grateful Undead. Oh, very good. What's the armor class one? I don't get that one. ACDC. Uh, armor class difficulty uh, class. Okay. Yeah. Where does she make up these bands from? They're bands that make themselves. They form once she invents the genre of rock and roll. It's like the Marvel comic 1602, when Steve Rogers gets transported back in time 1602. The Age of Heroes dawns early. And a guy called Peter Parkour becomes Spider-Man because Captain America exists. And so because Sophina invents rock and roll, the Beatles invent themselves. They become the giant fire Beatles. So yeah. all these, they're different versions of the same bands we know, but they invent themselves early yeah. because yeah. time and fate wants rock and roll to exist. So because she starts that early, all the bands come early. They think she's written Paranoid. But actually what happens is she sees Paranoid in a future vision because we established in the rules of this week's plan that she sees the plan from the film fail. Therefore, she can see the future. Yeah. I put it to you that she would like war pigs more, especially because it talks about witches at black masses. Yeah, maybe you're right. Yeah, I think you slipped up there. Doesn't matter. I'm nitpicking, I'm nitpicking. <laughs> I think the biggest boo-boo here is that... What's the biggest boo-boo? That you think that Netherwinter is in... In the past of our... Uh, no, I'm not saying that. I know it's on a different plane, but... Ah, uh, you clever plane man. Yeah. <laughs> also, it's also in the past as well. So the version of our plane that exists parallel to their time is in our past as well. Well, what you've done there is you've confused me so much and I don't want to say that I'm confused, <laughs> that I sound stupid. I'm just going to say, that's really clever. <laughs> what do you think, the best, the best, the best? Is what I want to say on the record for everybody to hear. Oh, shit. Ozzy Osbourne's a shit singer and Black Sabbath are a shit band with no good Oh, my God. Oh, there we go. How dare you say it? <laughs> yeah. Well, you don't even like Paranoid. Nah, shit band. Shit band. Well, not even Iron Man. Shit band. They are widely regarded as the godfathers of heavy metal, so... By dickheads and losers. I am Iron Man, spinning through the air so fancy free. 
Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Won't you come and dance with me? <laughs> wow, that's quite the bombshell. Don't forget, that's on the record. We stopped the presses and we've put it on the record. That could sink our podcast. <laughs> well, if there are no further challenges for Craig's flimsy plan, <laughs> I will bring us home. Having foreseen the disastrous outcome of the High Sun Games, Safina knows that she needs to put together an event with the same exploitative draw as the Barbaric Games, something that takes advantage of the public's yearning for a sliver of notoriety, but, importantly, takes less time to organise. After seeing a troupe of entertainers at one of Forge's frivolous banquets, she has an idea. Soon she and Forge have cobbled together the perfect event slash trap. The amphitheatre is abuzz with anticipation. A grand stage lit by floating lanterns awaits the performers. The large crowd that has gathered is ready for the evening's festivities. A lively bard in resplendent shimmering attire steps onto the stage. Welcome, one and all, to Neverwinter's Got Talent. Tonight we have the finest acts from across the Forgotten Realms for your viewing pleasure. First up, Lila Swiftfingers, the juggling rogue. She leaps onto the stage with a confident grin and begins juggling daggers, apples, and a small disgruntled imp. Craig, could you roll a d20, please? Certainly. And I got 18. As she takes the stage, she gives a flawless performance. And as a grand finale, the imp somersaults to the ground and juggles alongside her to roaring applause. Next up is Grendel Gearspark, the cooking artificer, who wheels on a large, bizarre-looking contraption. Behold, the ultimate breakfast machine, he announces as he cranks it to life. The best, the best, the best. Could you please roll a d20? Rolling a virtual d20. As the machine whirs and clanks, it malfunctions and spits out only a meagre amount of burnt toast for the audience, who boo and hiss as the artificer is led from the stage. Quickly replaced by a druid named Willow Windwhisper, she begins by transforming into a series of animals. Adam, could you please roll a d20? She smoothly transitions from bear to mongoose to snake to owlbear, eliciting cheers from the crowd and finishes a performance with a bow to a small splattering of applause. As the evening progresses, more acts perform with varying degrees of success. And as they conclude, the host returns. What a night. Let's thank the whims of fate for such entertainment. But it's not over yet. Prepare to be amazed by the magical magnificence of our very own Safina. The Red Wizard appears on stage and conjures an explosion of magical fireworks in the night sky. While the crowd marvels at the spectacle, she pulls out the horn and performs the ritual before the plebs know what hit them. So essentially, she's found an easy-to-put-together show that can be done in a lot more time, a uh, lot less time, sorry, and... She's got it out of the way before Edgins and his crew have even got out of prison. Is that true? I would have thought Brilliant's Got Talent would take quite a while to put together. 
Ah, no, it's easy. Cobble it together in minutes. <laughs> Simon Cowell's just finished pulling up his pants and it's already complete. <laughs> and looking weirdly old slash young with his flat top hairdo and his stubbly face. Well, thanks to Gaz's shit roll of nine there, the artificer made some bad toast. Who's roll of nine? Oh, God. (laughs) 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 The best, the best, the best. You are as fine a man as e'er I saw this side of David Morrissey. Oh, verily. (laughs) And you're a gentleman and a squalor. Thanks to the best, the best, the best, getting the worst, the worst, the worst role. The artificer made bad toast, and now I'm wondering, are the crowd that Neverwinter's got talent at that point, they're riled up enough to become kind of aware of, you know, what's going on, that these acts could go wrong, and maybe when the big poisonous gas cloud comes, they'll want to run just as they did in the film. And where's Edgin? (laughs) Edgin is still in prison. So there's a couple of years between... Forge taking over Neverwinter and Edgin getting out. Oh, I see. So you're saying it takes so much less time to organise that it's actually years. Yeah. Uh, I see. Okay. No, fair enough. I'm not saying I agree that Britain's Got Talent takes minutes by the time that Simon Cowell's pulled his trousers up to organise, but (laughs) they definitely do it annually. So I know it doesn't take years. Yes, exactly. (laughs) One year. One year. So how does she get her army of zombies? So all the spectators that have come to watch the talent show, Mm. when they watch the final act, which is Safina, they'll see fireworks in the sky. And as they look up, she brings out the horn and sends out the red gas, the red smoke. I guess if some of the preceding acts are a bit subpar, maybe some of the people would have uh, lost interest. Well, that's true. But thanks to the whims of fate and your dice rolls, the acts were fairly decent level. <laughs> it could have gone okay. wrong. I left it up to the whims of fate. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's very nice. Or did you? You didn't tell us what the difficulty class was. A roll between one and five would have had the breakfast machine exploding. Oh, yeah. Six to ten malfunctions. Eleven to fifteen, the machine works but only spits out a barely edible breakfast. And 16 to 20 would have been a spectacular array of delicious breakfast food delights for the audience. Wow. For example. Mm. Those schemes were dice-rollingly diabolical. But now it's time to vote for our favourite. As a reminder, we had Adam's fair idea... Craig's Rock Opera, The Best, The Best, The Best's Coffee Chaos, and my very own Talent Trap. Remember, each vote is worth exactly one point for the leaderboard. No more. Come on, guys. But certainly no less. No, no less. The reason I was laughing to myself there is because I was just remembering Gaz saying, those plots... Oh, shit. <laughs> 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 it's because Becky walked into the room as I was saying it as well that really set me off. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let me remind you, fellows, that you may not vote for yourself. 
reigning champion, the best, 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 the best. Who have you voted for? I voted for the person whose plan I thought was the most Dungeons and Dragons-ish from my layman's position. And so I voted for Ben. Very well deserved. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Ben, who have you voted for? I voted for the plan that had the best band names. Craig! Well deserved. (laughs) Craig, who have you voted for? (laughs) I voted for the plan based on the normal voting rules of why we vote for plans on this and not because it had anything to do with D&D, which is a stupid reason to vote for something, which is bad. Yay! (laughs) Well deserved. And I, too, have voted for Ben. Oh, Oh, it's a clean sweep. Wow. Thank you very much. First one in a while for you. For seasons, I would say. (laughs) Lifts you off the bottom at last. (laughs) Gonna get some respect back in your household. Oh, yeah, I might be allowed to sleep in my bed again now. (laughs) Sleep inside. Clean the covers. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, normal service will be resumed. Listen, their traditions are different to ours, Peril Pals. It's just the way it works over there. Shame is a very big deal over here. <laughs> so, the best, the best, the best, the best. What has that done to the diabolical leaderboard? Big changes. Big changes. In joint first place with four points each are Ben and Craig. Wow. In second slash third place with three points is Adam. But feeling the backlash that Ben has traditionally (laughs) felt from his season one win in final place with one point is the best, the best, the best. (laughs) Finally, the backlash has shifted to someone else. How ironic. (laughs) Nothing at all to do with your descent into being a crazy lush who doesn't even watch the film, which is the door handle. Yeah. <laughs> Just in case it moves. <laughs> Gotta keep your eye on it. Just in case. There's always a first time. Well, Adam, as next week's host, you have the honor of choosing the movie. Recite the appropriate magical incantation and then tell us what will we be watching. Well, next week, Peril Pals, we will all be feeling the power of Gladiator. Ooh. <laughs> and that's it for this episode thank you for tuning in don't forget to hit follow on your podcast platform of choice so you never miss a second of our scampish shenanigans and if you could leave us a five star review we'd be as happy as the gelatinous cube in a dungeon corridor for more nonsense throughout the week follow us on all the social medias at diabolicalpod join us next time where we'll be dissecting gladiator Until then, just because a sentence is symmetrical, it doesn't make it not nonsense. Rolling, 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 keep those dice a-rolling, rolling, 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 D&D. Through wind and rain and weather, keep them dogs together. Keep them doggies rolling by your side.
2023's Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves is the latest attempt to bring the beloved tabletop of cocks and balls in my mouth. I can't get them out. I won't get them out. <laughs> all right, let's move on to the all play. How many kilograms, pounds, or stones of muscle did Michelle Rodriguez put on for her role as Holger the Barbarian? She's in great shape in this, it must be said. I'm going to say two stones. I'm going in pounds because that's what I know from wrestling. As Parapal's <laughs> big wrestling fan. So I'm going to say 20 pounds of muscle. I'm going to say, uh, I'm going to say 15 kilograms. 15 kilograms? Okay, that's a, yeah. that's a lot of muscle. That's quite a lot. That's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all in, but in a similar ballpark. So the answer is 4.5 kilograms. That's 10 oh. pounds. That is like 0.7 of a stone. Well, they do say the, the, the camera adds 15 pounds, don't they? So Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> the camera adds 15 the kilograms of muscle. So I think you'll find I was the closest. Well done. We'll give that to Turner. Congratulations. Thank you. 